Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. Episode 6, The Risk in Traveling to the Amazon Rainforest. I'm Raven, Forest Fruscalzo, your host. I want to thank all of the amazing people that came out to the March of Science over this past weekend. It was really inspiring to see all of the support. I had a great time meeting all of the marchers here in South Bend, Indiana, and answering their questions about mosquitoes. An especially huge thank you to the listeners that came to my booth to meet me. Your support means the world to me. Today's topic was emailed in from Sharon McGrew, asking about her upcoming trip to the Amazon rainforest. She wants to know what medical risks are involved, especially when it comes to leishmaniasis. For this topic, I not only wanted to talk about the science, which is, of course, my favorite part, but also of some of the resources that are out there for travelers and uh, medical doctors that might be treating travelers. Then we'll get into the scientific paper, which is about the epidemiology of leishmaniasis. Epidemiology is the science of tracking where a disease is, who it's affecting, what kind of harm it's doing, and how quickly it's spreading. To find out which diseases travelers to the Amazon should be concerned about, I went onto the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's website, or cdc.gov. It's a fantastic resource. You can type in any country's name into the search box, and it'll show you which diseases to watch out for and how to best avoid them. In the Amazon, the pathogens of highest concern are yellow fever, of course Zika, rabies, malaria, and hepatitis A and B. Some of these, like rabies and hepatitis, are concerns here in the U.S., 
whereas yellow fever and malaria used to be in the United States, but using public health and control methods, we've effectively wiped them out. Yellow fever is of special concern right now because there's currently a sylvatic outbreak. Sylvatic means in the jungle, just like urban means in the city. While both yellow fever and Zika are primarily transmitted by Aedes aegypti, this mosquito isn't a big concern in the rainforest because it actually prefers the city. This yellow fever outbreak is instead being transmitted by mosquitoes in the genus Hemagogus. Hemagogus is Greek for blood chest, probably referring to how red the blood looks in its abdomen compared to their pitch black bodies. These mosquitoes prefer to feed on monkeys, but will bite people that come into the jungle. This current outbreak is going from monkey to mosquito to human, which keeps it mostly in the jungle. I've brought up yellow fever a few times in previous episodes, but I haven't really talked much about what it is. It is caused by a virus in the Flaviviridae family. This family includes Zika, Dengue, and Chikungunya. Yellow fever gets its name from the damage that it does to the liver, which causes jaundice. Jaundice is when the skin, and especially the white of the eyes, turn yellow. As with Zika, most people that carry yellow fever never actually have symptoms, and those that do feel a little sick for a few days, as if they had a cold, and then they feel better, often never even knowing they were infected with these viruses. For the unlucky few that do become seriously ill, there is a very high fever, nausea, and organ failure. Unlike the other Flaviviridae viruses, there is a vaccine for yellow fever. Both the CDC and the World Health Organization suggest that anyone traveling to the outbreak zone be vaccinated, and their websites, which I'll post links to in the episode notes, have information about how to go about getting this vaccine. Many of the diseases on the Amazon risk list are vector-borne, so sleeping under a pyrethrum, which is a type of insecticide, treated bed nuts, and keeping up with the use of effective insect repellents can protect you from multiple diseases. Wearing long pants with the cuffs tucked into your socks and long sleeve shirts keeps ticks, mosquitoes, and other biting insects out of your clothes. If you do get sick while out of the country, check out the State Department's website or your country's equivalent agency. They have a lot of information about how the healthcare system works in each country. If you're a healthcare worker and have patients that travel, there is a free book put out by the CDC called The Yellow Book, which lists all of the diseases of concern for each different country. Again, I'll post the links to both of these resources in the show notes. Now to tackle the specific question about leishmaniasis. This condition, 
like malaria, is caused by a parasite. But unlike malaria, it is not transmitted by mosquitoes, but instead by tiny female sandflies. They look similar to gnats, but they bite, and when they're filling up with blood, they can sometimes leave parasites behind. The parasites can cause cutaneous, or skin, think like cuticle, sores, or mucocutaneous, with sores on the skin in mucousy places like the inside of your nose. These sores are not only painful, but there can be significant social stigma attached to having them, not to mention the lifelong scarring. The paper I want to tell you about today is a good example of how scientists track diseases like leishmaniasis. It is called Epidemiological Aspects of American Cutaneous Leishmaniasis in an Endemic Area of Forest Extractivist Culture in Western Brazilian Amazonia. It's by Fernandez Bilahante et al. and was just published in February. In the title, what they mean by endemic is that the disease is naturally expected to be in this area, as opposed to an illness that was introduced. An extractivist culture is a group that trades their natural resources for money. These epidemiologists studied years of health reports filed by medical doctors in a region of Brazil popular with ecotourists called Zapuri, spelled X-A-P-U-R-I. Sorry to all my Brazilian listeners if I am totally butchering the pronunciation. These 932 medical case reports allowed the epidemiologists to compile metadata about the people who were bitten by sandflies and infected, which could tell them which people were the most vulnerable to being infected. They could also use this information to compare the Zapuri numbers to the rest of the Amazon region and where people are contracting the leishmaniasis parasites within the Zipuri region. After compiling all of this information, the researchers saw a pattern. For the most part, it was the native people, not the tourists, that were getting bit. But it wasn't all of the native people, as the rate in the Zipuri region was actually 13.5 times higher than in the rest of the Amazon as a whole. Most of the people affected were the children of parents that collect forest products to survive. These families live in the rainforest or at its edge, and are not well educated on the source or cause of the disease. Just by collecting some basic information about where patients live and what they, or their parents, do for a living, led to a deeper understanding of who was at risk. With this information, the the Brazilian government can save money by not spending it on protecting tourists or ranchers who aren't getting sick anyway, but instead spend it on those people who are working with forest products. Something as simple as targeted education campaigns on how the disease is contracted and how it can be prevented could save the Zapuri children from disfigurement and a lifetime of stigma. 
This study was funded by the FAPAC, a Brazilian governmental organization. Of course, this is only one study and only in one region of the Amazon. But it does give you some idea of the work that epidemiologists do to prevent infections. This type of information can contribute on a wide range of scales, from the few houses at the edge of the Amazon to the recommendations of the World Health Organization. The work of epidemiologists is often funded by the government of whatever country, because the information provided is important for keeping the citizenry healthy and working. But it's not something that can be monetized. Therefore, not really attracting any uh, commercial entities to do this kind of work. So that's it for this episode. But I have a couple of exciting announcements before I sign off. Next month, I will be a guest on a new podcast called Beyond the Big Screen. Do you want to know the true stories behind your favorite movies? The real facts that are often more interesting and complex through fascinating and lively interviews the host takes you beyond the big screen. On this episode, we will be talking about the popular 1995 movie, Outbreak. It will be especially fun because I get to talk about the movie from both a scientist's and a veteran's point of view. On this vein, I will be breaking from the traditional Tiny Vampires episode format to talk about the real science of antibodies and virus mutations, how the movie got it wrong, or how they got it right. It should be a lot of fun. So be sure to subscribe to Beyond the Big Screen and listen to both of these companion episodes at the end of May. And if you need a refresher, you might even watch or rewatch Outbreak. Also, I want to thank Glenn in Arizona for his very kind review on iTunes. To see if I can convince more of you to be like Glenn and leave a review, I'm giving away a Tiny Vampires logo t-shirt to a random reviewer on either iTunes or Stitcher. So get your review in before the end of June, and your name will be entered in. These ratings are really important to help people find this podcast. I hope that you found and continue to find this podcast informative. Please visit my blog at tinyvampires.com to get the links to all of the free Traveler's Health resources. There are also show notes, music credits, and more. As always, if you have an arthropod or disease topic or question that you would like me to talk about, or if you have corrections, please send them to me at h f o r r e s and the number one at nd like Notre Dame dot edu. You can post them on Facebook or the Tiny Vampires blog in the contact section. Thank you for listening. From me, Raven Forrest Ruscalzo, PhD student at the University of Notre Dame, member of the Social Responsibilities of Researchers Program, and funded by the National Science Foundation. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.